the New York media has gotten soft, including you, Paul. I don't need any kind of crap from you. Take a lap defense. Take a lap special teams. Who cares? No. It doesn't matter. It sure does. It doesn't. Paul, do you know what drip is? Do we have to explain? No, I'm going to let you wear the clown makeup. Removing goalposts. How stupid is that? No drunkenness. He answers the question fine. We move on. Shoot your shot. Yeah. Shoot him, shoot. The kicker. You hear how he says the kicker. Like he's a subset from the team. Do I send you journalism lessons on Twitter? We got a lot of angry people on this podcast. Yeah. Ooh. Welcome back to Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. We have one more show after this one. Monday will be the season finale as we put a bow on the season and look ahead to the Giants offseason. Looking forward to that. We'll be joined later in the show. A great interview with Super Bowl 42 champion Giants center, Sean O'Hara. But first, let's welcome in the host of Blue Rush. That would be two-time Super Bowl champion kicker, Lawrence Tynes, and his co-host, Giants beat writer for the post, Paul Schwartz. Guys, not a ton to get into here in week 18 as the season will thankfully come to a close for Big Blue. But Joe Judge, you know, made headlines with his 11-minute bizarre rant, including a supposed shot that he took at the Washington football team. And Ron Rivera was asked about that, and here's how he responded. Honestly, I just find it interesting, and, and I have no response to that. I mean, to me, the important thing is we play on Sunday more so than anything else, you know. Um, and I'm more concerned with getting ready to play a football game as opposed to anything else. Paul, Lawrence, your, your thoughts? Honestly, I just find it interesting. You know, guys can be very intriguing by what they say and what they don't say. Ron Rivera did not say he was upset by what Joe Judge said. Now, let's remember, Joe Judge was was getting all lathered up, and he said that unlike the Giants, he said the Giants are not a team that has fistfights on the sidelines and a clown show organization. And he didn't mention Washington, but fistfights on the sidelines, Washington, two defensive linemen had a fistfight on the sideline, okay? So... I think he was talking about Washington. I really do. You do? Yes. And and yes, no question. And sometimes, you know, I'm the first one to say he didn't say it. Now, Joe Judge was asked about it. Wednesday, the first question in the rain, were you talking about Washington? His answer was no. This is how his explanation was. I just made a comment toward any outward dysfunction. I smell a rat there. I don't think he was making a comment toward any outward dysfunction. I think during his passionate soliloquy that that was just bad timing. He's kind of going through what what they don't do, right? They don't fight on the sideline. They don't call each other out. They don't throw each other under the bus. I think it was just bad timing. Now, flip this on the the side of Ron Rivera. 100% this is all over the locker room this week. Coaches are experts at using things like this to motivate their team. It's a division rivalry. Neither one of the teams are playing for anything. Don't tell Joe Judge that. But they're not, except pride. And so this will be something to kind of, you know, late in the season like this, this is a perfect opportunity for Ron Rivera to kind of rally his team about fighting. But the fact is, those two dudes were throwing blows at each other in that Dallas game. So it is what it is. But I think it's just bad timing. I, I, I don't see it as him taking a shot at Washington, although – you know, Shermer's on line one asking him why he said the team quit. Pat Shermer was asked about that in Denver. He said, that's not an accurate assessment. But beyond that, I have no comment. So Joe Judge hit the daily double. Okay, he ticked off Ron Rivera. He ticked off Pat Shermer. Um, they don't play the Broncos. I 100% agree with you. This adds 
some sizzle to a to a flat game. I guarantee you, this is all. This, Washington knows about this. Um, I know some reporters in Washington are upset. They requested Joe Judge for a conference call. He did not go on it. Now, very often coaches do not, but Joe Judge didn't. The timing <laughs> it makes you laugh. Whether Paul, it's like a coincidence or not. Now, like I said, we have you know for 17 weeks requested coaches, and less than half the time we get them. But we did get Ron Rivera, and. Washington did not get Joe Judge. I think Joe Judge got all emotional and and got carried away up there. And I am pretty certain, maybe very certain, that if he could go back, he would take those two comments back because those were tearing someone else down when he was trying to build himself and his team up. And that's not good. Yeah. I agree with that. If he could, he could, he would go back in time and take those two comments away. Having said that, they still have to line up and play on Sunday. Eh, if Washington wants to use it, if Washington wants to use it as fuel, good for them. You know, the Giants again. We you talk about Mike Glennon is on IR. Um, I hope he heals up. Uh, he's obviously not a very good player, but I hope he gets his wrist fixed. Jake Fromm, we're going to see Jake Fromm again, and it's you know I think the last two weeks combined quarterback rating is like a sixteen or something. The Giants are starting another new quarterback. You know, Jake Fromm, who they tried, you know, and failed, and they had a Benjamin put Mike Glennon in, and it did not cause a ripple at practice on Wednesday. Not a ripple. Um, more interestingly, is that a couple of players, Julian Love and Leonard Williams, did come to Joe Judge's defense in some ways. Julian Love, who was a rookie in 2019, so he was on Pat Shermer's supposed tap-out quitting team, right? <laughs> the tap-out quitters of team, 2019. Team Yep, team tap out. J- Julian Love said he didn't name names. He saw some of that. So Julian Love also very much wants to be back with the Giants. He and Joe Judge have a great relationship. Julian Love is is definitely a part of the solution. Yeah, moving I think so forward, too. and they, that's guy. the problem with this team is they don't have enough part of the solution players. They have a lot of guys. I mean, this whole roster could move. You know, fifty percent of this roster could be on the street next year. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Most of these guys are yeah. spent a few days here, then they're going to go home. Too much damn time with you guys, and we're four yeah. and thirteen. Get the hell out of my face! You, you, you mean after after a season when you didn't make the playoffs, you and Zach Diossi, your long snapper, and uh, Fegels or Weatherford didn't just hang out for a week and just Pro- talk definitely. Football? Yeah, if we knew we weren't going to make the playoffs, which was very rarely, but if we did, you could bet there was an island vacation pre-planned <laughs> before. We uh, that that final whistle blew on on the last game, but it's just it's such a long season. I know it doesn't seem like it, but the amount of work you put in starting in like April, May, through the summer because you're still staying on top of stuff into the training camp and then the season and then the season goes like this. I mean, the first thing you want to do is go get away and reflect, and then come back and you know take a couple of weeks off and then get back to work. But this whole organization is we're in for an absolute roller coaster this off season. We'll talk about that Monday on the season finale pod. The offseason, we'll look ahead. And, uh, you know, if Jake Fromm gets hurt, we we get to the likes of Brian Lewerke, who uh, once played for the TSL Alphas. It sounds like a fraternity in college, apparently in, in a spring ball. So we'll see if we see the Giants' fourth quarterback play. We don't need a Brian Lewerke scouting report, but we do need your picks. We won't go, you know, too much analysis into this game because – it Did doesn't you say mean that team was called the low, TFLs, like the TSL Alphas? Is the, oh, uh, the, is the research okay. of the Spring League. I don't know what the Spring League is, but he was part of the Spring League. Lawrence, what's your pick for this game? Giants are six-and-a-half-point underdogs. I'm going to go with the Washington football team and the pissed-off 
Ron fighting Ron Rivera's because that's what they do is fight on the sideline. So I'm going to take Washington. Obviously, Taylor Heineke is the, the reason why here. 24 to 10. You know what? What do you th- what do we think about Washington Admirals? That's a uh, a rumor. Two two twenty two. I think they're going to announce it. Right? Uh, Ron Rivera is wearing a sweatshirt today. Two two twenty two. That's the when they're announcing the new team. What do we think of Admirals? Pretty, it's better okay. than football team, I guess. Yeah, even the Hogs I saw was an option. I, I guess I'd be nah. fine with that. But nah, that's in the seventies. I mean, Admirals is okay, I guess. Well, in forty years, someone will raise a hell about that, and then they'll have to get rid of that name too. So. Okay, I have to make a prediction, right? Okay, um, my prediction is they'll be called the Admirals. They'll be called the Washington Admirals. As far as the game, I think what we talked about earlier. I think this with this smoke, there's some fire here. I think. Washington was probably a dead team having to come here, play at the metal. It's supposed to rain. It's supposed to be 40-something degrees. It's not supposed to be nice. Giants can't score. I think they've scored one touchdown in their last 30-something possessions. So whatever they have, they're not going to have enough. I, I could see Washington winning, and I could be something like 23 to 23, 23 mm. six, you know, a Graham Gano, a 50 yarder on the way out. Graham Gano, speaking of a guy who needs a vacation, the Scotsman, he better put that leg up high. One of those like fancy hammocks or something. If you are beach. going Sunday, you are a diehard fan. And most people are probably going to be saying, you know, fire Joe Judge chance. There'll be people with bags over their heads. You couldn't pay me to go to that game on Sunday. So congrats if you're going. Someone told me, hey, can you post your story? I have extra tickets. Would someone buy them? I said, no one will take them for free on the streets of, you know, Penn Station. So good luck trying to move those but uh i'll say yeah it's gonna be ugly something like a 16-6 washington wins sarah what is your pick i'm um, going with the football team 20 to 3 listen to these scores no way the giants get a no way the giants get a touchdown i at least gave them 10 lawrence, lawrence gave him 10 i gave him six jake gave him six right yep pick six. Six. I think and, and pick sarah six. gave him three. Oh my god andrew you gotta pick us up here with something well I don't think the Giants are going to win. Let's say uh, Saquon gets a touchdown. So there's your touchdown. He looked good last week. So I, I think he'll get a garbage time touchdown. So I'm going to go Washington 27, New York Giants 10. And we're going to see history on Sunday because it'll be the first time in New York Giants history that a head coach will lose 13 games in a season. So Joe Judge going out on a high note or at least continuing his tenure. Mm, on wow. wow. I didn't, I Interesting didn't that. number. Good, good well, they were three and thirteen a few years ago, right? But that was two coaches, right? Correct. Yes. Then McAdoo was fired. McAdoo got fired, and and LT, your friend Steve Spags. Spagnola, Spags yeah. lost a couple. And, yeah. and I think that shows you why fans are losing their minds. They've never seen, literally, have never seen anything right. like this. So it, it's gotten to that level. Well, the Giants have been bad, but Sarah, you've been good, and uh, this is your final show. You will start a new adventure on Monday. So first off, we want to thank you for the last two years of contributions and. Uh, your Twitter following since Blue Rush has started has grown through the wazoo. You have many new giant fan Twitter followers. So uh, stalkers. there you go. And stalkers, stalkers and some, some weirdos, yeah. some cool people. But uh, <laughs> thanks for the run. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing where you go next, which you'll uh, announce next week. Yeah, thank you. Um, I can't believe it's been two years. That's kind of crazy. But yeah, thank you guys, Jake, obviously. Lawrence, Paul, now Andrew, thank you guys for everything. I mean, I've said this before, but I have been a Giants fan since I was born. My dad's a diehard, had season tickets. And this particular project has been kind of like a dream come true, a little passion project for me. So I really have had such a great time with you guys. And I appreciate everything you've let me do. And we'll, we'll stay in touch. I'll still be trolling you guys on Twitter. Don't worry. That's right. That's right. We're going to stay in touch. Hey, Jay, can we can we book Sarah as a guest like next yes. season or something? Yeah, I'll have to think? go through her publicist. I don't know. She 
she might be too big time by then. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, what was your favorite guest? Was it Eli? Who was it? Yeah. The... <laughs> They were like stars in uh, Sarah's eyes when you were talking to Eli. You know? Okay. I just feel like we've talked about this before off air, Paul. I think you were saying your kids kind of agree with this. But like I was so spoiled as a child through middle school, high school, even in college with New York sports. And Eli's a reason for that. And now it, that's even harder. That's even harder why the Giants are so bad. Why it hurts even more is because through my – like. I was 12 at that first Super Bowl with Eli. So that's like when I really started kind of understanding football and, you know, getting really into it. So basically my whole sports fandom life has been New York championships and good teams. And now it's horrible. So now it's not. Yeah. And now now it's it's not. Yeah. Oh, the pain. Well, Sarah, good luck in your future endeavors in the podcast world. And, we will see you soon. I'm sure I'll see you in the streets of New York on a Peloton or a bike or running through the streets at some point. And joining us next on Blue Rush will be Super Bowl champion from those glory days, Sean O'Hara on Blue Rush. Hey, Giants fans. Sean O'Hara, Super Bowl 42 champ, three-time Pro Bowler. You are listening to Blue Rush. All righty. Joining us now on Blue Rush is a friend of the program. He's a Super Bowl 42 champion, Giants center, three-time Pro Bowler, playing seven seasons with Big Blue from 2004 through 2010. He's now an analyst for NFL Network, does a great job there. He does some stuff with the Giants in the post game with MSG Network. Eli Manning show, you've seen him on. You see him everywhere. The baby blue eyes. Let's welcome back Rutgers alum, the pride of Chicago Heights, number 60, Sean O'Hara. Sean, you have a great backdrop. Lawrence does as well. Andrew's got you in his backdrop on the famous helmet catch play. Happy New Year. Welcome to the show. How are you? Happy New Year, Jake. Uh, thanks so much. You did a great job reading my Wikipedia page. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad to see that it's been updated. I love that I do stuff for the Giants because that's that, that's the politically correct way to say it right now. The, the other version is for another podcast, I'm sure. Hey, this has to be the truth because I saw it on Twitter. They said you can't say Happy New Year after yesterday, like the 4th. I think you get to the 5th or the 6th is fair. The first week of January. It's a happy thing. Why can't anyone be happy these days? Yeah, I still say Happy New Year to everybody because I I feel like, especially if it's the first time I've seen them this year, I'm going to say that to them. And I don't care if it's two weeks from now or not. We also, of course, are the family that has no guilt whatsoever sending out our Christmas card post-Christmas. So, you know, there you go to all you uh, rule followers. We break the rules around here. Because I think you answer everything so politically correct, I'm going to give you the tough question first. What did you make of Joe Judge's 11-minute, what'd you call it, Paul? A soliloquy? Soliloquy, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's journalism. I've watched it back, Sean, and you know, like three or four times, there's a lot of truth in what he's saying. But I think people are going to interpret it however they want. You know what? Listen, the, the Giants right now can do no right, no matter what it is. You know, I mean, look, they tried to give fans uh, free drinks at, at, at a game and that backfired. So it doesn't matter right now. Giants fans and anything the Giants do right now, it is scorched earth. So absolutely, there was some overreaction to judges post game press conference. This is not the first 11 minute conversation he's had post game. Paul, you're there. You know this. He's been very deliberate. He is very un-Popovich-like, very un-Belichick-like. And you know what? For those of us doing the post-game show after a tough loss, we're thankful for those long tirades and those long answers because it fills the show. The reason why people have a problem with it is because they feel like Judge, maybe in that situation, was lobbying for his job. I, I don't look at it that way at all. 
I look at it like Joe Judge, he is so thorough. He's willing to stand there in front of people and explain to them everything that they are doing to try to get better, everything they're doing to try to win a football game. And maybe it's the fact that he's young. He just turned 40 years old. But look, the guy is thorough. You ask him a question about football, he's going to give you past, present, and future context with it. And this is not me trying to sprinkle some near Giants fairy dust on the team and sugarcoat anything. That's what you hire Coach Joe Judge to do. You're trying to build a program. I think that you know people are, are, are just angry right now, and they are going to direct their anger towards the coach, the general manager, and the quarterback. That's how the NFL teams and, and the NFL world operates. But I look at that as a little insight into what do you think the team meetings are like? What do you think the staff meetings are like? If that's the postgame press conference, what do you think the meetings are like as they're going through every play and every detail? LT, you know this. You sat in team meetings after a loss and after a win on Mondays. After a loss, it's sometimes it's you know it's time to take your medicine. And I have no doubt that Joe Judge is showing these guys, look, here's what you need to fix and here's what we're doing wrong. I, I know that people want to blame Do you Coach. think a little too much, though? Like, because I, I almost feel like I've heard rumors in TV that this guy has his hands in everything about this team. And I think I felt like Coughlin did to some extent, but he, he would let his coaches coach. And I almost feel like he's got his hands in every piece of this team. And, and maybe that's a little bit of overkill. Like you said, maybe it's paralysis by analysis. Too many coaches, right? 30 coaches, 28 coaches. Yeah. I'm sure he wishes he didn't have to, to micromanage some things. But when you fire your offensive coordinator and you've got Freddie Kitchens, who's the tight ends coach, and now he's also the OC, he's wearing two hats, you kind of feel like you got to do more. And to your point about TC, you're right. And look, when TC came in, it was like, what are those socks you're wearing, Lawrence? Yeah, you know, that's what – exactly. He was, off, he was worried about what guys were wearing to a walkthrough. As things got better and as he started to trust us more – that started to change. Look, I don't, I don't think that's going to change in year two. But as Joe Judge matures as a coach and starts, as players do as well, I think you'll probably see a, a little bit of a adjustment on that standpoint. Look, questioning the former head coach, Pat Shermer, without mentioning his name, about guys tapped out in 2019, I think these are things that he was just trying to explain to us. Look, you don't know what I inherited. I inherited a really, really bad thing here. I think he kind of went overboard with that. You know, that can ruffle some feathers, can't it? Yeah, that, those were the the two glaring things that, that I took away from that, too, that I just felt like, yeah, he didn't need to go there. And I think if you were to ask him, you know, off camera or on the side, like, you know what, hey, I, I didn't need to do that. I think his intention were to, to show that, look, I, I think the, the production is not there right now, but the culture on this team feels completely different. And, and Paul, you, 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 you're around this team as much as possible, you know, given the, the protocols that we have now. This, this doesn't feel like a team that's in disarray, that, that is disrespectful or does, doesn't respect the coaching staff, isn't playing hard. So I think that was his, his point with all that. But, yeah, I, I think if he could take that back, he would have used that differently and not used examples of, of, of other teams like, hey, we're not as bad as that guy. Well, Paul, you said it best when you said on our 12 Days of Christmas that Joe Judge needs an editor. That's what he needs. He just, he just trim, trim it down. Trim I, down. Write, I write too long. Trim, you know, maybe, Sean, yeah, when you, start, you started in your TV career, right, they tell you, no, you got to trim it down. Everybody's got to trim everything down here, right, you know? Yeah, yeah, less is more. Um, Sterling Sharp, bless his soul, I, I used to do a show with him back in the day, and he used to always say, look, 
when you're doing stuff on TV, pretend that you got a guy in the bar that's watching it. You got 15 seconds to get it, get his attention and tell him the important stuff. After that, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher, blah, blah, blah. So uh, he does have an editor, Pat Hanlon, who's probably working overtime. But Pat, you got to get the clock on him and, and get a wrap on him. Pat says two more questions. And first of all, the two more questions can go 15 minutes. And then, you know, the one thing about Joe is, and also very different than Tom, you know, I always thought Tom was, he treated us like he had his car double parked. I'll talk to you guys, but I got to go, man. I got my car double parked. I got to go. And and if you gave him that out, he had like one foot pointed. And as soon as you hesitated, bang, he was out. Joe will stand there and sometimes they'll say one more, two more, and then he'll see somebody over here. I'll get to you in a minute. He's not running from it. Put it that way. You know, he's not running from the questions. No. And and you know what? I think uh, as a young head coach, the, the one thing you don't have to worry about with judges is does he have the stamina? Because he certainly proved that. Well, you say he's not running for the questions, but he didn't talk to the Washington media today, Paul, right? What was that all about? And talking to the away media, is that normal? In years past, we always got the opposing coach. Uh, during COVID, for some strange reason, the NFL put out a, a, a new decree that the coaches can talk if they want to. We got Ron Rivera today very nicely. But I would say over the course of 17 weeks, we've gotten the opposing coach less than half the time. So, um, you know, I don't think it's – it's. look, I'm sure Joe Judge didn't want to talk to the Washington media and be asked about why he's calling them clown shows. But – a lot of coaches have not done that, you know. The one thing that showed that it did happen today that I saw, you know, there were there, we had terrible weather today. So I know that they had to delay, I think, practice and meetings because there was car pileups and traffic jams. There, there was black ice everywhere. So I did see that may have moved something back that prohibited him from being available for that. You know, you, you are so good with the offensive line. You've taught me a lot as a player. You used to break down things for me when I would say, like, Sean, why did you give up that sack? And then you would spend 15 minutes telling me. You never gave up a sack. That's exactly what you said. And then without giving up the guard on the right or left, you would tell me why they gave up the sack, right? Um, Or that Eli held the ball too damn long, mostly. But, I mean, this offensive line, when you look at them, I mean, to me, they have Andrew Thomas and maybe they need four new starters. Is there any hope on that line right now? I think there is some hope. The the, the challenge – right now is just that with the injuries that they've had, it's hard to evaluate anybody. You know, last year I thought in the first six, seven weeks, the offensive line really struggled. And then the second half of the season, they started to put things together. Things started to look like a unit. It didn't look like five guys trying to figure things out to get separately. I, I thought when Shane Lemieux got inserted at left guard last year, things really solidified. The, the communication was a lot better. And so you had two rookies in a left guard and left tackle and then basically a rookie center in Nick Gates. And that was supposed to be what the offensive line was built around this year. Well, look, Shane Lemieux gets hurt the first day in practice, and then he plays the Denver game. I think he played 17 snaps, and that's it. So your left guard's out. They started in Chicago, their fifth different left guard. That's unheard of in the NFL. They're on their third center. Billy Price didn't play, so Skura moved over to, to center. And when Nick Gates got hurt, you know, all that has changed. And while I think your left tackle should always be your best offensive lineman, in this case, it is with the Giants. I think anytime you start moving centers around and guards, the communication suffers. Again, the growing pains that they went through last year, I saw again this year. You know, I'll say this. I don't like calling out guys. I don't like calling out offensive linemen. And, you know, the one guy that has been frustrating for me has been Will Hernandez. He When he came into the league, he had so much potential. And I looked at him just like, man, this guy is an unbelievably powerful son of a gun. And he's a freight train. 
get him going forward. He's a nightmare to deal with. You ask him to pass block 45 times and there's some issues. And I thought maybe going to the right side would help him with that. But he just really continues to struggle with any kind of movement, any kind of defensive stunts, any kind of twists, blitz pickups. This offensive line, is just, it's just like they don't, they're not on the same page and they have no anticipation. And those are two of the biggest components of being a great unit. Now, the analogy that I use right now when people ask me about this offensive line, because, you know, Paul, you know, as, as you alluded to, people want to know, hey, Sean, how do you fix it? What's the issue? Fire the coaches, right? Well, Matt Flaherty is the assistant O-line coach. He was our O-line coach. So if people want to say they're not being coached the right way, the hell with that. They, I know absolutely they are because that was my coach, and he taught us how to do things. There is no better offensive line coach when it comes to, to X's and O's and what defenses are trying to do to you than Pat Flaherty. So when I hear that, I think to myself, okay, the analogy I use is my eight-year-old son, I'm trying to teach him daily habits, things to do. When you get home from school, you hang your coat up, you put your lunchbox away, and you do your homework. How many of those three things do you think he does on a daily basis? Like maybe one? So every day it's the same thing. Ah, like I'm driving myself nuts. I'm repeating myself over and over. Look, hang it up. You put it away. You do this. And so I ask myself in the same situation as a coach-player relationship, okay, am I a bad parent? Is this a bad kid? The execution is not there. He's being taught how to do it. So I'll always resort to the execution standpoint of players. I know they're being taught to do it. It's just not being executed on game day. And that's why I'll always blame the players before I blame coaches because they're the ones that are opening that envelope on Wednesdays in their locker and they're getting paid to do the job and they're not executing on Sunday. It is frustrating um, it, it, because every weekend it, you hear this at the press conference, execution, execution. We didn't execute. We didn't execute. Is that an indictment on the players? or is I mean, I, I go back and say, well, to your point, maybe the, the situation you just talked about with your son, it's like they're being told what to do. Maybe they just can't do it. Well, like, also, they, they've point, had a bunch of coaches, you know? Yeah, but they, at they, some point, a is bunch a, of coaches and they have a bunch at of some assistants. point in the season. This offensive line has pretty much seen everything you're going to see, right? I, I could be wrong, Sean. You tell me, but like you know, a four three fun, a three four. They've seen everything. They should be able to pick up a te stun and things like that that he's talking about. Will Hernandez just can't move his damn feet. He, he can't move, and so the teams know that they run the te stunt and they get there. You know, three out of seven times they try it and it causes problems, but. At some point, it, it, this is on the players. Like he said, like they just can't execute, and that just means they're just not very good football players. Yeah, in the NFL, look, you, if you make a mistake in, in a game, you know we call that you're starting a fire. And the next week, you've got to put that fire out or you're going to see it every single week. And the, the Giants offensive line has never put the fire out. Look, I, I, it's not for me to make excuses and, and sit up here and say why. You know, Paul, you talked about different coaches. Absolutely. That's a, that's a factor. The fact that they've had five left guards, they're on their third center, those are all factors in it. You can't use them as excuses because other teams are dealing with issues as well. But I will say the other component to all this is, look, different players learn things differently. You can take a player into the offensive line meeting room. And you could draw on the board. Here's the blitz. Here's the play. Here's what you're doing. It's in your playbook. Okay, and players look at that and they say, okay, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. They get out on the field and it's like deer in headlights. It looks totally different. They lose sight of the concepts and what's going to happen. One defender moves or is, or is in a different alignment, and now all of a sudden they can't react and they, they don't understand concepts. They've been memorizing plays. I think that the lack of reps in practice and the lack of 
you know, walkthroughs and, and time together in the building. Like, forget about just practice and meeting times. Like, sometimes we would just go in the O-line room during lunch break and eat lunch in there and just go over third down blitzes. And as we're sitting there eating lunch, hey, you know, look at this front. Oh, look at this. Look at that. You know, and then the quarterbacks would come in. They can't do that. They, like, these guys can't even eat a meal together. It's grab and go. And you know what? Next thing you know, you're on you're on your couch at home and you're on a Zoom like this right now and you're trying to talk about how to pick up this cross-dog blitz. That, that, that's not how you teach and how you learn football. Now, Sean, you just mentioned, um, you know, the quarterbacks coming in the room. You know, you came to the Giants. Eli Manning was your quarterback. I guess you figured when you retired, you'd kind of, you know, you'd see Eli around town once in a while. Jersey guys, fine. Eli, you see him more now than you did when he was taking, you know, 70 snaps a game from you, didn't he? I mean, who would have thought that Eli would be Mr. Media? You know, unbelievable. I, mean, I said that. I said that on whatever show, maybe our last show. I've yeah. never in a million years saw this coming. I, you know what? I, I didn't see it to this level. You know, I knew that there was going to be something that he was going to do to stick around the game. And, you know, everybody has last couple of years, hey, what is it going to be? What You know, and I said, I have no idea. But it's funny because I remember when I first came back in the locker room after I retired and I was working for NFL Network. And the first guy to say no beat in the locker room was Eli. You know, he's the one busting chops, as everybody else gets to see now. Paul, you kind of got to see Eli, you know, in the locker room and how he was with LT and I. And look, the, the guy, he's one of the everybody's favorite teammates because he was just one of the guys. Like he never put he was never better than anybody else. You know, he he loved the pranks. He loved, you know, keeping everybody in stitches. And it's been great to see him be able to open up because for so long, his entire career on purpose, he only gave people a little sliver of things. He, he, he kept everything kind of inside because he knew what he represented. Now it's the, the gloves are off and he's, he's great. And I, I say it jokingly that I think everybody's sick of him, but no, like you, you don't get sick of him. And I think his podcast or not, not podcast, but the show now, the Monday Night Football show with Peyton has been great to see the difference. Look, same DNA, same parents, totally different personalities. Like Peyton wants the script. He wants to know everything that's going to happen. Here's where we're going to do this, this, and this. And Eli's like, let's snap the ball. Let's figure it out. And I'm going to have fun doing it. I'm going to make fun of you, Peyton. And I'm going to get back at you. All the years you tortured me and all those atomic wedgies. Eli is everybody's favorite. It's why Snoop gave him the death row records chain. That was incredible. What a gift. They were talking about gin and juice, right? I mean, it was just like that's that's Eli's everybody's favorite for that reason. Eli's street cred is absolutely through the roof. But Paul, bring up a great point. It goes to show, like Peyton, he is just such a like a football junkie. Like, he can't help himself. He's interrupting Joe Buck. He's interrupting Bill Cowher to talk about a two yard hot route, or you know what's that center doing? You know, like he he can't help himself. And it brings me back to um, a quick story. Eli was having a party in New York City. I think it might have been a Halloween party. And I guess Peyton they were they were on a bye week. So he was coming into New York City. We were going to have dinner or do something. And we were playing – actually, it might have been the offseason. But we were playing the Colts to start the season that year. And I remember Eli saying, hey, before we had dinner, he said, listen, whatever you do, don't talk football with Peyton. Don't tell him anything about our offense. Don't tell him anything about our defense. If he starts talking about it, like he's got a photographic memory, he will remember everything you say, and he will use that to try to beat us. So that was like my first kind of introduction to the mind of Peyton. God bless his accountant, Eli Manning. He's got so many checks from different places. Uh, His accountant's going to have a lot of work to do, and he's cashing out. Can't blame him right after his career. And happy belated birthday to Eli Manning, who got the uh, awesome chain as a gift. Jake, accountants don't mind it when there's more coming in than going out. So don't, (laughs) don't feel bad for him. 
Yeah, he'll be can, doing can you fun. imagine what Olivia and Archie think now when, you know, they say Snoop is now one of the Manning brothers? Guys, Snoop's coming to Thanksgiving. That'll be something, huh? I think Archie would be cool with it. Cooper would, de- Cooper would definitely be cool with it. What about the replacement of Eli Manning, Daniel Jones? We we ask every guest now. You're our final guest of the season. Monday's our final show. Do you you trade uh, trade everyone for Russell Wilson, or do you ride it out one more year with DJ? You know what? It, it, that feels like the same conversation that we were all having when Eli was kind of riding off into the sunset. And the thing that that I kept saying to everybody when Daniel Jones was getting drafted, or when they were looking at, hey, we need to draft a quarterback. You know, this is not a quarterback fix away. Like th- this team is not a Russell Wilson away from being a good team. You know, R- Russell complained last year about getting hit too much. Come play <laughs> after the Giants. Yeah, we'll see. You know, if you're if you're crying about Dwayne Brown, uh, your left tackle out in Seattle. I think that that's great, and I would be awesome for headlines, and it would make everybody's job really easy for the next six months. I don't think it's the right move for the Giants. You know, yeah. I think when you're trying to build. Like this this roster, like I look at the Giants roster and I the one thing I say to myself is, when's the last time we signed a draft pick to a second contract, right? Like Sterling Shepard comes to mind, Odell comes to mind, JPP. Like so, Not enough, not so enough. Three guys in the last 12 years. I mean, I've got a hat right here that, you know, represents 2008. We won the division in 2008. LT, you got a one that says 2011. That's the last time that the Giants won the division, right, 10 years ago. And why? Like when people look at it, why? It's because the cupboards are bare. You you draft guys, and then you don't sign them to second contracts, and then you go out and you buy other guys, free agents, at a higher cost, right? We we all understand about costs right now being inflated because of the the supply and demand issue. That's where you get yourself in trouble. And here we are a couple years ago, Jerry Reese went on a big spending spree to try to, to, to fix the issue. The Giants just did it again this past year. And you know what? This is what happens when you when you don't like look at the Baltimore Ravens. Look at all of their first round picks and second round picks. They they don't leave. Like they sign second contracts, sometimes third contracts, they retire there. That's where the Giants need to do a better job of. So I, I think trading all of that for a Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers, I mean, that's great conversation it's great banter it's just not reality and i don't think that's the right way to build a sean do you do you as a as a fan and observer i have a whole lot more respect for daniel jones today than i did five weeks ago because obviously we all want to nitpick his game and that's fine but knowing kind of what he dealt with watching what's come after him i have a great deal more respect not saying we can't ever upgrade there but i would love to keep this draft capital built from the draft Daniel Jones, give him another shot, maybe bring in a veteran. There's still something there with Daniel, in my opinion. I just believe in the kid so much. Maybe I have blinders on, but I think you can put enough people around him to where he can have success. But like my whole point was these last five weeks have given me an enormous amount of respect for what he, how he was able to play with this group. Yeah, I think the tough thing for Daniel Jones is that we're at this point now in, in his career and we still don't really know. Like, yeah, we don't know what he can and can't do yet. I mean, I, I know, like, there, I'm, I agree with you. I think Daniel Jones is a really good quarterback, and I don't think he's been put in a great position to succeed, both from the, the offensive line that we've talked about over the last couple of years. And also, I, I mean, I see flaws in this offensive system. You know, I, I turn on the film. This was going back to even last year. And a simple nickel-sand blitz, and there's no hot site adjustment. There's no – 
correction, like, hey, we're going to bring the running back over here to, to pick that up, and then we're going to hit the left side of the field. Like, there, there is none of that going on in the system. And that's not a Daniel Jones issue. That was a, an offensive scheme issue. So I, I don't know that that is a great has been a great fit for him. I so think that's a great point. That's a great point because I was talking to somebody about, you know, when we were playing and how many different routes a receiver could run based off leverage or coverage. And it's it's two or three, right? Like Plaxico or Victor or whoever, Hakeem had two or three different options. You watch this Giants team, third and seven, they all run a route six yards, one yard short of the sticks. And you watch the leverage because I watched a lot of film. Even on an outside leverage, they still run the out route. Why not have a uh, some sort of a post or something, but it's like they have to run what the coaches want them to run. There's no deviation. Yeah, and that's why I think Kevin Gilbride was, you know, such a, he was such a, a big component to the success we had. We always had an answer. Like every week, it was like, okay, here's what Philadelphia loves to do. They love to bring blitz zero. They want to bring pressure. Here's going to be our answer this week for that. And you know what? I got excited when I was at the line and I saw blitz zero because I'm like, we're going to gash these dudes. Like we, we we already know what you're trying to do and we're going to attack you. We didn't play passively. It was, we want you to blitz because we already know how we're going to attack you when you do that. I don't see that from this offensive philosophy. You know, going back to the Daniel Jones thing, I I think there's a couple things that Daniel Jones does really well that he doesn't get any credit for. His accuracy is unbelievable. I think he might be an even more, a a more accurate passer than Eli was. I I tell you, he he doesn't throw any wobblers. You know, Eli, (laughs) but man, he 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 threw some wobblers and some ducks. Rarely did he throw a spiral. I think the touchdown to Plaxico in Super Bowl Forty Two was the first spiral that he ever threw. I think that's just because that that was in slow mo. We all remember that. Yeah, yeah, we say it took forever to come down. But like Daniel, I mean, he can throw the rock, and he's really good with the deep balls. He just hasn't had that many opportunities. Sean O'Hara, 60 on Twitter. You see him doing, like I said, stuff with the Giants, post-game, Giants.com, Elisha, just a whole lot of stuff. And you do a great job, Sean, of course, on the NFL Network. We'll say it one more time. Happy New Year. Thanks for coming on and being our final guest of the season. I'm Final Blue guest, Sean. Happy New Year. Uh, li- listen, this goes along with your Doritos really well. This is um, I'm drinking this beer right now because I knew you were going to ask me about the O line. I knew I knew it was going to be heavy on Giants conversation. This is this is what Giants fans need to get through the rest of the season. And if you haven't heard of Line and Kugels, Line and Kugel is a great brewery. It's based in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I found out about this from our good friend Richie Soiber. Get yourself some summer shandy. You're welcome. Do you have a stake in that or something, Sean? Well, promotion. You just got to check out of that. <laughs> All right. Summer Shandies and Doritos. What a combo. Kugel Summer it. Shandies. There you go. All right, Sean. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, guys. You know, But I'm um, seeing some really encouraging signs from this team, Paul. Yo, you are. You and Joe Judge are seeing, you, you, <laughs> you're seeing a lot yeah. of encouraging signs. I huh? mean... All right, Lawrence, I'll say Happy New Year one more time to you. Would you like to close out this episode of Blue Rush? I would, Jake. And they say after the fourth, you can't say Happy New Year, so shove it right up your... That says cheerio to episode 99, the Steve Diossi or Leonard Williams edition of Blue Rush, whichever you prefer. Our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown, Sarah McCrory, and Andrew Hartz for producing the show. Were you going to say shove it up your arse? Were you going to say arse with that? Are you a fan of Doritos? 
in my new hoodie, Lawrence. Well, I was looking. I prefer the Cheetos, not the Doritos. That kind of rhymes. Get Blue Rush a wee five-star rating and write in a nice... Say Doritos one more time. (laughs) Doritos, Doritos. You have to roll your tongue. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. You can also now give us a wee five-star rating. Here it comes, folks, on Spotify. I love Spotify. And for Polly Schwartz, Jake Brown, Sarah McCroy, and Andrew Hartz, I'm the Scotsman, Lawrence Tynes. We return on Monday following the Giants-Washington game. Supposedly, they're going to have a new name in February for our season finale podcast. We'd like to send out a special thanks to Sarah for a great run on the show. She will be leaving us. And thanks for listening. We'll chat one final time next week. Happy New Year. Paul doing cake stands with his son, Jared.